The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to episode 5 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. Uh, on today's show, we are joined again by Mags. He returns to discuss Clash of the Champions matches from the past, some suggestions from Twitter and some suggestions from myself. Quite a few of the matches he hasn't seen before, so it's a really interesting discussion. Again, similar to a previous episode during Clash Month on the show where we are looking at past matches, potentially through fresh eyes. I'm really interested in getting an opportunity to talk about things like that and have people viewing contests for the first time, especially if it's personal favourites of mine uh, from my wrestling fandom. As we come to the end of Clash of the Champions month on the show, um, next week we will be looking at the latest Clash offering from the WWE, which is being broadcast this Sunday. Um, I'd like to hear everyone's thoughts and feedback on the matches and the show in general. You can get in contact with the show uh, on Facebook and Twitter at SJP Wrestling Pod. And you can find me, your host, Sai, at SJP Words on Twitter. However, that's next week's show, our modern day product. Uh, this week's show and past product is what we're looking at today. So let's get on with our conversation with the always excellent Mags, the pod father himself. Take a little trip down memory lane and review some great old school classic Clash of the Champions matches. Hiya, Max. How are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. Yeah, excited to, to be back on the show. Yeah, it's, uh, glad glad that you, you gave the invite out. No, no, definitely. Anytime, anytime you want to come on and more than happy to have you on. I'm glad that you accepted the invite. It's, uh, it's always great talking wrestling with you. It's fantastic. Thank you um, yeah, so how how you been? It's been, what, three, four weeks since we last spoke? Yeah, uh, busy. Uh, started a new project with uh, Tanner from Headlock Talk called uh, Radio Techers, and that's absolutely just doing gangbusters. We, we joined a, a network with uh, Anthony, who formerly did Smart to Death. He's kind of come away from wrestling and gone on to, to real sports, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're doing so well. Um, it's a lot of work, a lot of kind of juggling my schedule with the amount of uh, podcast uh, projects I'm involved in. But yeah, it's it's good fun. So I was going to say, surely you haven't got any spare time at all. I mean, you must only sleep about three hours a night, surely. Right. So <laughs> I'll give you some context, right? We're recording this on uh, Tuesday, the 22nd of September. Tomorrow... I have three podcasts to record. Oh, one for Badlands, one I'm doing a guest spot for, for Matt for Good Cop, Bad Cop, and then uh, I'm doing uh, Radio Techers, and that's at 1 o'clock in the morning. Then Sunday, I'll have four to do. Uh, I'll have uh, five rounds, and then that'll I'll, I'll do that straight after the UFC at about 6 o'clock in the morning. Then I've got the the one uh, the Twitch stream that I do with Josh for the wrestling, uh, the WWE pay per views. 
Then I'll have another episode of Radio Tech as where we talk about the weekend's football. And then about eight o'clock, we'll have talk at the table with uh, again with with Matt Willis uh, and just uh, have a, a grand about wrestling. So yeah, it's a uh, this week is a busy ass week. It's very much time management. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely, and it's great as well. I, I diverse some of those topics. I mean, you said that the what the new show is is about football, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was uh, I kind of fell into the project by accident almost. It was uh, T- uh, Tanner wanted to 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 break out from just doing the the wrestling show. He started doing uh, like gaming shows and and kind of like weird and wacky new shows, and he was really interested in starting a a football one with uh, with the new season coming up. Um, I he asked if I'd help with uh, with the pilot. We clicked uh, straight away, and then the week after, he said, "Do you want to come on again?" Uh, it was like absolutely. And then straight after that, it was a case of, "Yeah, let's keep this partnership going. It's it's so much fun." Then we just it just exploded. We I ended up on visionaries uh, like like yourself, and uh, then we've gone on to uh, this new network shooting the sports edition. Yeah, it's been an absolute madness. It's it's in the last three four weeks we've just absolutely done gangbusters. I'm yeah, really really proud of it. I mean, as, as a football fan myself, I can I can recommend it. Yeah, I've listened to it quite a few weeks. Not every week, but m- most weeks I've listened. Yeah, um, it'd be cool. I've enjoyed it. It's it's, it's great. It was a really. I I find it interesting. I find a lot of more um i suppose you say mainstream or more um named football podcasts you know like the ones that the newspapers do or sky do themselves or mm-hmm. um they, they've always got slight biases to them and they've always got to toe a certain line i suppose but when i listened listened to yours um it was just like listening to a couple of mates talking football but more knowledgeable than my mates, if that makes sense. <laughs> so that was no. I, I've enjoyed this. I can any, any other football fans happening to be listening to this. I can uh, recommend it very, very highly. Oh, I, I, you don't know how much we appreciate that. That's absolutely amazing, and that was kind of the the vibe we were going for. We will never ever claim to know everything about football. It's literally just how we saw the games that that happened, uh, how we kind of interpret the news that that's going on in football. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's it's about two mates just having a chat and just there being a microphone there to record it. Uh, but yeah, I'd I'd love to uh, extend uh, the offer to for you to come on the show and. Uh, have a chat about uh, football one day. It'd be great fun. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, just let me know. We'll, uh, we'll sort something out. That's great. So, for now then, considering how busy you are, shall we get on with it? Shall we get on with it? Shall we talk a few Clash of the Champions matches? Yeah, let's... Um... I mean, when you when you, when you you came and, and said that this would be the topic and because I wasn't a WCW guy, we kind of couldn't really get it where, where, where we live. Uh... I'm to my own kind of detriment. I'm not that caught up with uh, with WCW. I don't, it wasn't my wheelhouse. So I know like the big stars that, that then I know the the really big matches, but I, I didn't watch a lot of the Class of Champions. So when you did the the episode with Conrad uh, about. Uh, um, Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. I thought it'd be a, kind of a great kind of follow on from that to to almost take me on a a, a, a learning journey about wrestling. Yeah, and I, I felt like you really you, with the picks that you you gave for for the matches to watch. You, I do feel like I've gone on kind of a a knowledge journey of of, uh, <laughs> of older WCW. So yeah, thanks for that. No, for, no, that's great. That's great. I mean, I, I'm. 
I watched quite a bit of WCW, but didn't have access to all the bigger shows. It was like worldwide and so on. Then, of course, you yeah. got it. You could get tapes and so on. But I never really got the opportunity to watch it as and when it was happening, especially some of these because I was a bit too young. Um, but it is sort of my my go-to if I've got a spare few hours and I want to have a, a watch of some wrestling. I don't really know what to look at. I always find myself bringing up the WCW section on the, the network and going from there. So it's kind of my, my yeah. go-to, especially... Especially what I've done with these matches, I mean, in all clarity, you know, makes, um, in all, make sure everything's all transparent. It's not all my selections. Um, some people uh, suggested via Twitter, uh, my show's Facebook page, a couple of people messaged me there too. Um, so, but I tried to pick from the, the suggestions, I put some of my own in, but I also tried to pick matches that maybe have been a little overlooked or have not don't get the love maybe they, they require or... Um, Aren't, aren't aren't the big storming main events like the steamboat flares that me and Conrad may have discussed that everyone's yeah. kind of knows of? Um, I also decided to have a cutoff point um, with Clash of the Champions twenty seven, which is the first time we see the big orange one Hulk Hogan turn up. Because the very next event after that is is the Bash at the Beach in ninety four when he wins the WCW World Title on his in ring debut. So I sort of I know that after that point in time, things do money wise maybe it, it went up, but quality wise it very much took a nosedive in WCW. So I sort of thought that's where I want to end this this conversation about these certain matches, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely it made sense, and and I've never been the kind of fan that that uh, portrays to know everything about wrestling because no one does. Even the even guys like Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer don't know everything about wrestling. Oh, exactly, so, yeah, definitely. I've I've loved going on on this journey, and, and like I said, I know the wrestlers. Don't get me wrong, I know these guys, but I've never really sat down and and watched these matches. So it's, it was a uh, it was fun going through them. And when you said, "Yeah, there's not there's not too many big ones," and and then the first one's like a forty five minute match, I was like, "Oh, you are so sad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I rewatched that one uh, that one today myself. To be honest, I. I I remember being a forty-five minute time time limit draw, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the others. There's a few others that are a bit shorter than that. Try and balance it out. But yeah, should we start there? Clash of the Champions one. Start at the beginning. Let's go for it. Okay, I mean there was two matches from Clash One, wasn't there? That we had a little look at. It was um, before the man and the main to, event. Yeah, that's right. Before we get on to the the making of Sting, I guess um, we watched Wyndham and Luger versus Arn and Telly. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of that? I'm, I'm assuming that was the first time you might have seen this match. Yeah, again, I, I, the, the majority of these matches is the first time that I've, I've, I've watched them. And mm-hmm. the thing that really kind of stood out to me from watching this match, because obviously you, you, we were, you said the, the Sting and the Flair one first, but because this one came uh, before that I, uh, in in the in the show, I just I watched the, the tags one first, and the the thing that stood out to me was how fast paced this match was. Yeah, um, four guys who who you wouldn't kind of really say a renowned for like having fast paced matches. I mean, Lex Luger is like almost the king of rest holds. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this this kept up a massive frenetic tempo for, for all the 10 minutes. Uh and the crowd ate up every single second of it. It was just so it was exciting to watch because of how into the the 
the match that the crowd was. It was a, a really good start to this like this little journey I went on, and kind of like I did um, with uh, the last show. I, I went and looked up the uh, the. Um, the scores on uh, Wrestling News Observer to see what, okay. what Dave Meltzer gave it. Um, and he only gave this match a three and a half rating, which, do you know, I would have given it way higher than that. I'd have gone at least four just because of how there was no botches in it. It was a, a very quick, very heavy paced matches. And it was, yeah, it was a, I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm surprised that Dave kind of didn't or he'd give it a, a middling score. But yeah, it was a, a good start to this journey. Yeah, I'm not, I've seen this match quite a few times, but not recently. So watching it back um, for this show, yeah, I, I got the same the same feelings. The crowd were just absolutely wild, weren't they? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, a little context, I suppose, building into that is Luger just left the Four Horsemen. Um, so that so the uh, the feud there with Arn and Tully up against Luger, um, and I was Wyndham as his partner, uh, and of course the Horsemen in '88 were. You know, just absolute heat magnets, as we see with Flair later on, and so on. Um, so that would, I suppose, help with the atmosphere there. But just certain moments as well, like uh, for example, the the crowd reaction when Tully Blanchard hits Barry Windham with a slingshot suplex, which was one of his main go-to's in the ring. But Windham kicks out. The reaction is just insane, and it's, I think, it's a real testament to how tag team wrestling when done properly as, as again we'll discuss later on in the show because there's a few more uh, matches that we've looked at from there tag team wrestling when done properly you don't need gimmicks you don't always need tables and chairs and so on like we saw in much much later matches if it's done properly and the guys are talented and the crowd are into it and there's a good story then that's kind of all you need and I really enjoy, I mean I, I'm a huge Arn Anderson fan anyway I'm a huge Barry Windham fan anyway so this ticks boxes for me but I really, really enjoyed watching this one back. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you. It was uh, again. Um, we when we spoke on uh, while we watch, I, I told you how much uh, tag team wrestling means to me. It was it was really my my kind of wheelhouse uh, in terms of wrestling. And, and again, this like you said, it, it ticks all the boxes. There's nothing really amazingly flashy. There's no. It's definitely, no, no, definitely. Uh, it's definitely a mid eighties kind of match. Uh, it's a, a very kind of almost John Cena kind of um, move set all pr- pretty basic but it's all done to perfection it, it looks uh, the the punches look real the shots look heavy they probably were to be fair and um, yeah it was just a, a great match and it's not often that you say that about a Lex Luger match but yeah I really did enjoy it yeah Luger to be fair Luger he, he looked great in this didn't he but then you look at the guys he's in there with I suppose that helps doesn't it mm-hmm. so and again, I think a crowd reaction makes a big difference to anything. If you throw in the weakest looking right hand in the world and the crowd go mental for it, I mean, it gives a slightly different impression. And if you throw a weak right hand in it and you're greeted by crickets, I suppose, maybe. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, as we, as you said earlier, when that tag match finished, we got onto the main event of that show, uh, Sting versus Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your thoughts of this one? Yeah. Um, and, this was almost like a, almost like a, a contrast to the the tag match. Uh, mm, two yeah. guys who who you know can keep up a, a really fast pace, and and this was much more uh, of a slower kind of deliberate, almost like measured pace. I think obviously they knew that they were going to go forty five minutes, so it was a, a case of a of um, 
conserving energy, not basically uh, shooting your, your your load too early in the match. And I, what I what I felt was that I was being taken on like a, an emotional roller coaster all the way through the match. It was. Um, there was high points and low points, and and you 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 thought that Sting was gonna was gonna um, get the victory, and then you thought Flair was gonna get it. Uh, it was interesting that at the beginning the announcer said there had to uh, had to be a result in this match, uh, and then they did uh, they did the draw, which yeah. if you if you think <laughs> if WWE pulled that kind of shenanigans now, how how much stick would they get over wrestling Twitter? Uh, this match would have been absolutely ripped to shreds, but it was it was a, a great match to watch, and you can tell that Sting was was I'd say green, not in terms of skill by all means, but in terms of being able to kind of dictate a match. Uh, you can tell that this was very much a, a Ric Flair led match. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and again, I went to the, the the Wrestling Observer scores, and and Dave gave this four and three quarter stars. And you know what? I can't I can't disagree. It was a really good match to watch. Forty five minutes went by so quickly. Um, but who was the kid? Um, who was the the one of the judges? Well, I don't think he even was a judge. I don't think he had a a, a vote. But I've seen his face before, and I could not picture where his oh, face the, was from. The the younger lad, yeah, um, yeah, he was in the Wonder Years. Yeah, that's not it. the main character. I think mean, he was the main character's older brother, was yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, I or remember him now. Yeah, so he's very much of of that time, isn't it? Sort of eighty eight. So he's in the he's in the the matches again, like later later on in 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 the shows. Uh, not in this show, in in other shows. So he must have uh, must have had a big. Uh, a big fascination with WCW, but yeah, going back to the match, it was superb. I absolutely loved it. I thought, uh, and, and knowing the matches that you picked for me to watch, I thought this is going to be the start of a journey, and 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 the the last match is going to kind of like be the culmination of it. And it absolutely was. You you did really well to to kind of like bookend uh, these shows with 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 Flair versus Sting. It was uh, some great picks. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it again. Thank you very much to people on Twitter as well who suggested a couple of these. So, But yeah, with with the Sting-Flair match, I mean, you can see, uh, I suppose, I don't, really, I don't people talk about psychology in wrestling, don't they, and the storytelling aspect. I think this is on display so strongly here mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with the obvious mission of getting Sting elevated up to the next level. They want to create this next superstar. And uh, yeah. It obviously works. There was there was the stalling of an injury to Sting uh, shortly after this, or a little while after this. But at this point in time, I think that forty-five minutes with Rick, uh, with 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 Flair, I, I think that it was mission accomplished. Sting came away looking like an absolute star. Flair came away looking like he'd survived by the skin of his teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, the one moment where you can almost see the referee batting sting on the leg to tell him time's running out you need to hit the stinger splash and so on yeah. that's something that, that's something that i sort of noticed and thought well okay maybe that is you know a sign of sting's potential inexperience it was his first real big big time contest but, i mean that to me was a real tiny little thing it was um i really enjoyed it again but again i'm, I'm a big flair fan i'm a big sting fan this is this is my my go-to this is my 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 wheelhouse for want of a better term and I I really enjoyed it as well. Plus, hearing Jim Ross on the call as well is always great for me. He's, he's the soundtrack to pretty much every wrestling memory I've got. 
So yeah, him, him and Tony, you could tell that it was night and day compared to the Jim's work in AEW because he's had so much passion for these shows, mm. and uh, and Tony's obviously he's he's the almost exemplary professional. Uh, yeah, so they really did add to add to this the the passion and the the kind of like um, the commentary that that Jim Jim gave. It really did like make me get more invested in the match. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, you know, I knew the results going in, of course, obviously. However, towards the end, I'm still sort of edging towards the edge, uh, shifting towards the edge of my seat, thinking, okay, <laughs> what's going to happen? That's what's gonna... And I know it ends in a draw. It's, it's ridiculous, it? but I suppose, that, again, it's testament to how talented these guys are and how, how good a match it was to get that reaction out of me now in 2020. Yeah, and 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 on on my side of the the coin, I didn't know the result, so I was that person. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a. I, I was the like the ones at the edge of my seat getting excited for the for the match. I think uh, when I heard the 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 there had to be a result at the beginning, I was kind of realizing that yeah, this is probably going to go to a draw in it, and yeah. uh, especially we having judges there, um, which you don't really see a lot in in wrestling. I thought yeah, this it telegraphed it a little bit, but it didn't stop me getting excited uh, uh, with the match. It was just a well timed, like I said, very slow but deliberate match to watch, and it was a great pick. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I I enjoyed it. I mean, one one aspect that did stand out, I suppose that. I would. I haven't noticed watching this before, but how much stalling there was at the beginning from Flair. And I understand mm-hmm. in a match, you know, Flair is obviously famous for going forty-five minutes, sixty minutes, ninety minutes, and so on. And he does require a certain level of stalling, a certain level of rolling out the ring, and so on to make to, to make that happen, and also tell the story. However, um, a few years later, uh, I read about Flair doing something very similar to Scott Steiner when they wrestled a Clash of the Champions event in the main event there for the world title, and that was supposed to go a time limit draw, um, only 30 minutes on this occasion, I think. But I was doing research for an article I wrote quite a few months back, um, and it came up that Steiner thought that Flair was actually sort of sandbagging him in the match. Sort of, um, mm-hmm. he, he was slowing down intentionally to make Scott Steiner not look as impressive, to sort of take the shine off him. But then I watched this match with Sting and he's doing pretty much exactly the same thing and the first time seeing it since I've read, I've read up on this and, and done that research, the first time noticing it, it's, it doesn't come across that way in this match. I think, I think maybe the suggestion of it in the Steiner match led my mind a little bit, but it was, it was funny from my standpoint seeing similar tactics but obviously done for more of a storyline or storytelling point of view if, if that makes sense yeah it absolutely makes sense uh i i think maybe that th- this is a case of context being being like important i think uh this was obviously like you said it was ma- it was a match to to make sting into a main event guy um maybe perhaps scott Steiner. i mean as much as 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 i like scott Steiner, is is um Mentally, he's not the most sound person, and no. <laughs> uh, he does he does uh, have a very very short temper. So, what he what Flair is doing in terms of trying to like make the 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 crowd and the audience uh, feel that he's doing everything he can to to avoid wrestling Steiner. Maybe Steiner took that the the wrong way and thought that it it, it was Flair 
uh, trying to screw him over where it, in Flair's mind, he was doing what he does best, and that's that's making his opponent look look a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I mean, speaking of the the great tag match we just watched, um, might as well stay on tag wrestling after that match at Clash One. Um, we also watched Rick Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes coming up against Arn Anderson, but with a different partner this time in Larry Zbyszko, didn't we? How, how did you find that one? Yeah, this was a this is this was the Clash Seventeen match, right? Um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like uh, like I was saying with with tag wrestling, this is this ticked every single box for me. It yeah, was uh, right. I loved the 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 kind of reveal of the 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 different uh, opponent when uh, Barry Windham came out in his street gear with uh, with his with his arm in a cast. Uh, I knew as soon as I saw the 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 dragon's head coming down the ring. I knew exactly who it were, but the 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 crowd and the the commentators were kind of playing along as if they didn't know. And then when they did the reveal, Ricky Steamboat may very well be the most baby face, baby face in in all of wrestling. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Uh, but yeah, uh, th- I love the the heel work between um, between the enforcers Arn and Larry. How they they kept the the faces apart for for long periods. They did the old distracting the refs, switching in and out of the ring. Uh, um, that's all. Everything I love about tag team wrestling is that that simplicity. But the the storytelling it just it just gets me right in the feels. I loved seeing like a young hungry uh, uh, Dustin Rhodes who you could tell he was excitable and and full of energy but clearly was inexperienced uh when he uh when he was kind of the almost the perfect foil for someone like steamboat who's who was so um such a good ring general he uh i, I, I feel that when that when dustin got in the ring it was just it was just the hot tag i i've spoke about it time and time again the best thing about wrestling for me is when you get that hot tag and your first wrestler comes in and absolutely cleans house yeah. dustin got Dustin got that that rub. It was absolutely brilliant, and then yeah, I just loved the loved the fact that they went and 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 won the match. It was just yeah, I loved it. It was a great pick, and again another one that that Dave obviously really uh, enjoyed as well because he's another one to give it four and a quarter stars. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I again right uh, right in the sort of time period that I enjoy, sort of late eighties, early nineties, WCW, NWA. And you're saying about the hot tag in wrestling being a huge, uh, being one of the best things you can see. I totally agree. And th- this is done fantastic in this match. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. with, with like the, I suppose, almost sly tags from um, Anderson and Zabisco as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, on, on one occasion, there's a, there's a sly tag on a sunset flip. Um, and the, 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 the baby face wrestler doesn't realise uh, and gets mm-hmm. caught. Um, and that's happened... 30 seconds after the same thing uh, a similar scenario you know just before and it all builds up and builds up and builds up that anticipation of the tags being made and the old trick of just when the the, the baby face is about to make the tag the heel wrestler comes into the ring and distracts the rest so the tag's not seen it just builds up the builds up and builds up the tension until finally that tag is made and the reaction just the crowd goes mad and yeah it's, it's so simple and it's so I don't want to say overused, but you see it again and again and again. But it, to me, when it's done right, it, it's fantastic. And yeah, I, I agree with you. you. You can't beat it. Yeah, it's it's timeless. It's yeah, absolutely exactly. timeless. It's yeah. 
I've always said that tag wrestling is the simplest way to tell a good story in a ring. You don't even need any kind of like backstory as long as you've got four wrestlers who know how to how to work a crowd uh, yeah. and and get. Um, like I said, it's, it was the simple things that happened in this match. They isolated one of the faces uh, for long periods of the time. You have the other face at the other side of the ring. Um, getting frustrated, jumping in, um, and and then when uh, they get a tag, the ref hasn't seen it, so it doesn't count. But then when the the uh, the heels get a tag, it's it's kind of waved off, and you get that frustration as a fan thinking this is this is absolute bullshit. Uh, but yeah. then when they do get that hot tag. Everyone cheers, and everyone's just—it's just simple things like clotheslines and 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 bulldogs that the 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 crowd are just absolutely on fire. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. I thought this was a damn near perfect tag team match. I loved the the mystery uh, partner thing just to add that little bit of nuance to it. Yeah, it was a great pick. Another another brilliant tag team match, and I think uh, in the, the one of the the. the other matches that you you picked that they mentioned that this was uh, Dustin's first ever like major title, so yeah, it was cool to to see that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, when talking about the the hot tag aspect being something that we see all the time, there was actually something in this match that I have not seen elsewhere before. I mean, I don't know if it's happened; I've just missed it. But there's an occasion where um, Arn Anderson has a, uh, has his opponent in a Boston Crab. Mm-hmm. And Larry Zavisco is leaning over the top rope when the referee can't see him and pushing him in the hands. forehead, mm-hmm. pushing him in the forehead to make yeah. him lean back further. And I just, I, I've, not, I've seen the whole grabbing the hands and putting on somebody's arm for an abdominal stretch and so on. But a Boston Crab with your partner pushing on your forehead to make you lean back further just tickled me. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Tiny little thing like that, but it really made me laugh. It's absolutely great heel work. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was a damn near perfect tag team match for me. There you go. There you go. Um, so, from excellent heel work, we'll take one of their opponents, who we, we say is the ultimate baby face. And um, we had a look, um, we'll stay with Steamboat, and we had a look at Steamboat versus Funk, didn't we, from Clash of the Champions 7? We did. Um, this was a, a, a weird match for me to watch because I kind of didn't know the context, obviously, because, like okay. I said, I haven't really watched a lot of what's going on. But obviously, the. Picking up what the uh, the commentator said, I, I assumed that uh, Ricky Steamboat was the number one contender, and uh, Terry Funk kind of wanted that that number one contender um, from him. So it was a weird that it ended how it did uh, with uh, with with the DQ. Uh, if if you were really interested in in kind of getting that that number one contendership. Why would you kind of draw the DQ with uh, with the attack on the macron? I enjoyed the the in and out of the ring work. I thought that that was refreshing, especially considering this was the the like the the late nineties, uh, late eighties, early nineties, and you didn't really see a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, I love funk. This was kind of like the. It felt like the genesis of him being like middle aged and crazy almost. Mm. And again, uh, Steamboat is massively the, the the definitely the ultimate babyface. Um, but then when we get the the Luger save, it made sense. It absolutely made sense. This wasn't about Terry Funk uh, being number one contender. It's about the Lex Luger heel turn and and. Um, and him coming and, and, and basically get, getting what he wanted, which was uh, the recognition of, of, of the number one contendership. Um, the chair shot bit 
it made me laugh because it was so telegraphed. It's unreal. Yeah. He goes out to get. It <laughs> goes to get a chair. Brings the chair in. The begging from Ricky Steamboat. I loved it. That really just adds to him being a babyface. It, it's please don't attack. I'm. I'm. I've just gone through that this brutal match with Terry uh, Terry Funk. Uh, I thought that that was some really good character work. But then when he stands up and, and kind of moves to his back, knowing he's going to get hit, and then Luger tickles him with the chair, literally just barely makes contact, then throws the chair away. It just it it looked so funny. I just didn't get it at all. Yeah. Um, and then obviously then we get Sting coming out to, to actually make the save. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It it was it wasn't my best match of of, of the lot, uh, but I enjoyed watching it just because uh, uh, it's Terry Funk and it's Ricky Steamboat, and you can't really go wrong with those two guys. Uh, Dave gave it a, a four and a quarter. I, I felt that it was a little bit generous, uh, probably like three and a half maybe. But yeah, it was a great match. Yeah, again, I, I enjoy this myself. I understand where you're coming from with the finish. Um, but at the same time, it was very much. Funk had other things to do as well. He was he was going on to face Ric Flair, I believe, after the, mm-hmm. the ending of a Steamboat Flair match. Funk got involved and he he pole drove Ric Flair through a table. I think is is if I'm thinking of the right event. Um, again, like you said, the start of his middle aged and crazy sort of gimmick from there. Um, but again, with Steamboat, you're seeing the ultimate babyface, as we keep saying, aren't we? I mean, he's popped up a few times already on this show. Um, when I came on Badlands and had a chat with you about my Mount Rushmore, um, Steamboat was my last pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was amazed to hear you say that nobody had actually chosen him before, because I think the guy's yeah. absolutely incredible. Mental. I think he's amazing. Yep. No, it really surprised me. It really is. Uh, for, for someone who who was a babyface in pretty much everywhere he went and he won titles everywhere he went. It's, it is a sh- shock to us, especially to us at Badlands, how he hasn't been picked so, so, uh, so many times. It's, and, but I think after you came on, uh, I think maybe two people in a row picked him afterwards. So maybe uh, okay. you've started the ball rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Open a few people's eyes. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, another one we looked at was, it was again involving Mr. Flair. Um, but on this occasion, wrestling someone who was pr- prominently a tag team wrestler, as far as I remember him, uh, in Bobby Eaton. And that was from yeah, Class uh, 15, wasn't it? And I, to me, Eaton versus Flair, on paper, looking at it, I'm thinking, this is going to be incredible. I'm a, I, I, I keep saying it over and over again, I'm a big Flair fan, but I'm a big fan of the Midnight Express. I, I, Bobby Eaton, I think, is incredible. Um, so seeing these two in a singles match, I thought was going to be superb. How, how did you find it? Yeah, um, again, I, I know Bobby Eaton uh, as one half of the Midnight Express. So mm-hmm. seeing him in a um, two out of three falls uh, match for the towel, it was quite jarring, really. Because yes, it's strange, isn't it? Yeah, and I thought that this could be the kind of match where he breaks out from being known as a tag team specialist, uh, and and this is the match that that makes him shine. And I don't think I got that in this match. Um, I think it was just too short for me to, to kind of get invested with uh, Bobby Eaton as a singles wrestler. Uh, perhaps if, if it was like maybe uh, half an hour to 45 minutes long and, and it was like uh, 
him really kind of coming out of of that that safety of a tag team uh, to really give Flair one of the 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 worst matches he's, he's ever had. Maybe I would have like kind of uh, believed in him a little bit more, but uh, it it was a decent match. Um, Dave gave it a three and a half, and I, I kind of agree because. The, the the quality of the wrestling was 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 there. I, I love the Alabama Jam uh, finish for the first. But oh, it's, it's great, isn't it? That move. Yeah, uh, but I think the match only went about fifteen minutes or something like that. Uh, and the first fall was was a, around the three. Uh, no, about about two thirds in. So he then gets the the the, the count out a couple of minutes later. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if he if he actually got a legitimate injury because he, he loses the, the second and third pin very, very quickly. Uh, rare to see uh, the figure four actually get a pin. It's that's yeah. normally kind of uh, um, the ref counts and they, and they get up. But yeah, it, it, the match was, was very, very good. Don't get me wrong, but it just didn't kind of scream out that, that Ric Flair had made someone else into a superstar. It was kind of like a, maybe like a, a rare miss for, for a Ric Flair kind of making someone as a match. Yeah, I suppose with Bob Eaton in this, in this match, this example, um, again, like you say, you say it, it went short. It looked like it went short, so perhaps there was an injury there. I'm, I'm not sure. But you're right, it's almost like the final step wasn't quite there. And I'm talking with regards to the match itself and potentially with Bobby Eaton as well. There's almost like the the last step, the last little bit of sparkle for this match and Eaton as a singles wrestler wasn't quite there at this time. Yeah, I, I get that. And if if you go back to uh, the the Class 17, uh, I think on uh, Bobby Eaton's like in the either the first or second match, so it clearly didn't kind of push him to the, the upper echelons of, of the, the singles uh, card as as maybe they wanted the match to. No, that's right. Which is a shame. Which is a shame because the guy's obviously mm-hmm. incredibly talented. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I think the, this could have been the breakout match where you, you look at him as an amazing wrestler, not an amazing tag team wrestler, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But there was just something not quite there, wasn't there, on this occasion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um. Clash 21. We watched a couple of matches from that, didn't we? We certainly uh, did. We had... We'll start with Sting versus another favourite of mine, Mr Rick Mister Rick Rude. Uh, what did you think of this and the wonderfully named King of Cable tournament? Yeah, I didn't get that whatsoever. Like I said, I had absolutely no context of... The, okay, of, the King of the, of the Cable tournament um, was a tournament put on by WCW basically to celebrate an anniversary of wrestling airing on TBS for so many years. It was either 20 years or 25 years or something like that. So they put this tournament on and the winner was effectively king of cable television, I guess. But it it really, it pretty much meant nothing. It was was another idea that WCW had that I suppose when they're all sat around a, a table chatting away, discussing what they can do with this, this and this. Um, it sounds good until they start doing it, but then they're already invested, so they have to carry it on. Um, yeah, it, it it didn't really mean anything. I think it ended with Sting versus Vader at Starcade. I think it was the final in Starcade '92. But yeah, the tournament itself basically meant pretty much nothing. But you had guys like Vader, Rude, Sting, and so on involved, so it produced to me some good matches. Yeah, I mean, any reason to put on. Uh... 
and a, a decent match. His fam, family, I just didn't kind of understand the context. The match was, it was definitely a kind of a progression in, in uh, Sting's career. You could see uh, the difference between him on the first clash where he was being led in the match to, to Sting being being the person who, who you could see was definitely improving in terms of being that ring general. Mm. Um the the result was weird. Uh, again, another another judge's decision. Uh, for me, I felt that Rude absolutely dominated this match. Uh, worked on uh, uh, Sting's back. Uh, Sting had a couple of moments where he he kind of like got back into the match, but every time he, he did, it was Rude basically took back control. Um, then uh, with about ninety seconds or something to go, he he he, uh, he made another comeback. Uh, fall out of the rude awakening, which is one of Loki, one of my favourite finishing moves. I, I oh, think that's I, it. M- mine too. I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a really brilliant stiff move. Drop dying. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so then, obviously, it goes to the judges, and then we had a, a, a was it Hero Matsuda voting for Sting. Uh, Zabisco, the heel, obviously voting for for Rude and and Ollie voting for Sting, and that was it. Just felt weird. I felt that yeah. Rude dominated this match, so how Sting won was beyond me. But I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think I think this was probably one of the weaker matches of of the ones that that uh, have been picked to watch. Uh, the Wrestling News Observer gave it a one and a quarter stars. I think that's a bit mean. I would have given it more uh, just because of how good both guys were in the ring. Uh, I'd, have, I'd have said a, at least a three-star match. But, yeah, it was a, an interesting match to watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of the whole judges' storyline, to be honest. I'm not a fan of that at all. Um, in any aspect. I mean, it, the only way I think it could potentially work is if you have judges voting and putting it, putting the bad guy over as the winner when they don't deserve it, and the judges are potentially in-ring competitors themselves. You can get a bit of a, a bit of leeway out of that, maybe future storylines out of that. But I don't see the purpose in ringside judges on a time limit. To me, if it's a draw, it's a draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in, in title matches, if it's a draw, it's a draw. That's that. Obviously, in a tournament, potentially, I see I see the other side. They're trying to make it so that people can go through to the next round. But if Sting is going to go through. Why didn't he just beat Rude? I don't, I, you know, Rude's the US champion. He's, I don't, a loss to me doesn't really ever hurt anybody. I think people make a big deal out of that online that it's, it's so over dramatic. Oh, such and such loss, they're being buried. It's all nonsense. Yeah. Why, why, didn't, <laughs> yeah why, why didn't Sting just, just beat Rude? I mean, there's so many ways you could do it. He's still the US champ afterwards. He's absolutely fine. It's, it, it, it baffles me a little bit, to be honest. Um, yeah, and and especially when you can you can build to to Sting uh, challenge you for the title afterwards. Uh, yeah, exactly. I've got I've got a non-title win over you. I deserve a, a title match. It it, it kind of tense, but it was in this era where uh, WCW did like using judges, uh, and we kind of saw that rubbing off in AEW, kind of like uh, with with the the match that they did with the judges. It it just it didn't make sense, but it it was a fun match anyway. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree that Rude was probably that if you're going on points, Rude is the guy who should have potentially won the contest. Mm-hmm. Um, Sting worked over Rude's stomach, his abdomen, or whatever for, for the first five minutes or so, which obviously came in later on when he went for the Rude Awakening and it, yeah. where he'd been worked over. You know, again, great storytelling, but I agree with you. If you're going by judges' decisions, then, you know, Rude should have gone through. It just kind of makes a mockery of the whole judges' thing, I suppose, but. 
but yeah, yeah, there we go. I mean, I'm a big Rude fan, so any chance to get to you know stick a Rude match on and have a watch is, is always great for me anyway, so... Yep, absolutely. It was a great wrestling and, and taken from us way too soon. Yeah, yeah, very much, very much so. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, also, a bit more Mr. Steamboat on this show. It seems a little bit Steamboat heavy <laughs> now I'm looking at it as a list. Perhaps yeah, subconsciously, <laughs> yeah, sub- subconsciously somewhere. That's what, that's what I may need to look at. I don't know. But um, yeah, we had uh, Steamboat and Douglas this time. Shane Douglas um, we're facing off against Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes again. So yeah. uh, how did you find this one, in, especially in comparison to the earlier tag matches we watched from sort of Clash 1 and so on? Okay, so um, again, I'm going to probably ask you for a little bit of context here, but we saw Dustin and Ricky Steamboat win the titles in, in Clash 17. Uh, is this a case of uh, Ricky handing the titles to Barry Windham and 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 so that him and Dustin are the, ta- the champions? Um I, I I don't know the the kind of backstory, but what I, what I did notice almost straight away was how the crowd loved both both teams. So it felt like mm. a very much a a babyface versus babyface setup. Um, I, I again we got a lot of the kind of face in peril stuff, which just works every single time for me in, in terms of tag teams. Uh, I like the kind of hinting towards. Uh, uh, Rhodes and Wyndham not being kind of on the same page. Uh, there were a couple of like quick tag outs. Uh, you could see where Dustin was getting really kind of frustrated with, uh, with Barry for the the beating he was putting on on uh, Ricky Steamboat. Um, and then obviously they had the the kind of battle that that led to uh, Shane Douglas that hitting the belly to belly for the pin. Um, I thought it was some really fantastic storytelling. Another really um, a, car, a, a match that, that scored highly with me, uh, according to, to uh, Uncle Meltzer, he only gave it a two <laughs> and a half, which I think is it's that's a shocking score. For yeah, this I match. think that's 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 a bit unfair. Yes, I, it's at least a four star match. I, I I love the the kind of turn from Barry Windham. I, I I've, I've always enjoyed like a a, a, a heel turn anyway. So it's one of the the best things in wrestling. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a great match. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as well. I mean, I can't offer a great deal of context to that. This was a suggestion off Twitter, you see. Um, I might have watched this match many, many, many years ago, but putting it on for research purposes to, to, to have this conversation with you today, I didn't remember a great deal of it. Um, if it as it wore on, I could remember the Wyndham turn at the end, and I, I like bad guy Barry. I think he's he's great as a, I think he's great as a heel. So that was that was great to see as well. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. And if you say Meltzer marked it that low, I think that's... Again, it's all subjective. It's all opinions, isn't it? Everyone's entitled to their own opinion, no problem. But I, I agree with you rather than rather than he that that is a fairly low score for this. I, I thought it was worth much more. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, like we've said with, with the other tag matches uh, on this list, the action is not... It's not anything that's out of this world. It's, it's no, basic it's just, yeah. tag team wrestling, but the storytelling is absolutely brilliant. The, 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 the division between Dustin and, and Barry, it, it comes on uh, really well through the match. Uh, uh, the, the frustration in Dustin's face and, and, and Barry kind of like um, not really caring what Dustin thinks and really putting a beating on, on uh, Ricky Steamboat. I loved it. I thought it was really uh, well played. And then obviously the, 
they had the little scuffle, and then afterwards they uh, we had the full blown um, heel turn where uh, Wyndham DDTs uh, Rhodes, and and that's the the team over. But yeah, I'm I'm assuming that that it was the. Uh, the, the titles that Ricky and, and Dustin had won because it was only what about four shows before that four clashes before that uh, when when they won unless they kind of hot shot of the titles around all uh, quite a bit yeah but, I mean, four clashes could have been a, a year potentially yeah so in time I, mean, I, may be, I may be way off off, off mark, I'll, I'll but, have to look it up and I'll have to look it up but I can't offer much more context than that but at the same time you're almost applying logic to WCW. So, <laughs> that you know, that, that doesn't true. always work that way. So, <laughs> That's so on, the, on, on the note of Wyndham's heel turn as well, you mentioned the DDT. What a DDT. Yeah. That was, oh, Barry Wyndham was so good, wasn't he? The, the, the yeah. superplex, the DDT, everything he did. He was he's absolute star. When Wyndham was part of the Horseman, that was probably my favourite incarnation of the horseman as well with him there it just all because he's a big chap he must Mm. be what six four six five yeah he moves like a cruiserweight yeah definitely and with them big clunky cowboy boots on as well (laughs) (laughs) god awful (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) it's funny you mention um cruiserweights actually because the next match uh, if we're going in date order was the, the very next clash wasn't it um, we watched uh, Chris Benoit versus Brad Armstrong. Um, I think this is a little bit of a hidden gem. What, what did you think of this? Yeah, when uh, when you uh, gave me this match, it, I, it was another one that I thought, yeah, this is a, a weird pick. It's kind of like very out there in terms of all the rest of the matches. Like They're all huge stars. They're all big names. And mm. uh, even in my kind of limited WCW knowledge, uh, I, I knew that Brad o, Brad Armstrong was kind of like almost a jobber to the stars. I mean, I mean that's that sounds uh, uh, detrimental, but uh, he, he wasn't like known as a huge star. And then obviously you've got Chris Benoit who, uh, around this time was was pretty much a, a nobody. He was uh, more well known for his work uh, in New Japan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but. Uh, after watching this this match, I, I got why it like why you said it's a it's a hidden gem. Um, Benoit comes out to pretty much crickets, and by the end of it, <laughs> by the end of the match, everyone's into it. You can you can tell that um, Chris's kind of style and his work rate uh, was so different to what uh, what WCW was offering at the time. We've spoke about uh, how how basic a lot of the wrestling is. It's great wrestling, but it's very basic. There's nothing out yeah. there that's flashy or there's nothing out there what's like almost eye-catching where Benoit absolutely brought that. It was it was new. I mean not not to us in 2020s as but to to watching this in in the early 90s this would have been absolutely outstanding. And it was this was for me it felt like this could have possibly been Benoit's breakout performance in in terms of Western wrestling, um, and the the Dragon Suplex was absolutely beautiful. Uh, just a, a really really good match. Yeah, I, I, this is one of my personal favourites. Even though it's only I think eight and a half or nine minutes long, I mean, I'd love to have seen more of it. Uh, but when I was doing uh, putting together a list of clash matches and taking a few off Twitter and so on, I put this one in myself because I'm a huge fan of this match. I'd stumbled across it because I was watching something else. And this came on maybe before or after or a while ago. I I wasn't watching the show all the way through. I was kind of flicking through. And I caught this and I was just like, it just blew my mind. 
especially mm-hmm. like you say for the time and you look at the other matches around it whatever match it was i was seeking out at that time would have been my comparison uh, and yes and nothing majorly spectacular back then especially with 2020 eyes and so on um but it, it stands out in comparison to the other matches around it very much. It's very much, it, it is a little bit ahead of its time. Um, you can see the Japanese influence in Benoit. Yeah, absolutely. There. The um, hard hitting style. Oh, of it, yeah. Well. And it, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I, find, I find this a little bit one of those, those hidden gems. And if people ever say, oh, I don't know, really know what to watch on the network, I always sort of suggest this match. It's the first one that pops in my head when people will say, oh, I want to watch something I haven't seen before. I'm assuming a lot of people haven't seen this, so that's why. <laughs> and like I said, it, it's not a long match. It was what like eight nine minutes long. Yeah, but it's uh, there's a lot of good wrestling in those eight nine minutes. They they really kind of utilised the the time really well. Um, and yeah, I think Dave. Let me just check. Dave, Dave gave it three stars, which um, it's a little bit unfair. Uh, maybe. Going edging closer to towards four just because of maybe the time frame and maybe uh, yeah maybe the, if it was longer it'd have got higher yeah if it were it was, yeah and if it were uh, wrestlers who who had a, a a more more of a history in, in putting on uh, good matches uh, like I said Brad Armstrong he was essentially a jobber and Benoit was very very un, uh, not as well known in in the West as as he was in in Japan uh, but. Yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the match. It was a. Uh, it's it's w- always weird when you go back to the network and you see a match with uh, Benoit uh, not being on. Uh, is not being mentioned by name. I mean, I understand why. Uh, yeah. What what happened was absolutely horrific, and, and you don't really want to promote that as a, as a company as large as 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 a WWE. But it is kind of jarring when you see. Uh, Brad Armstrong has a match and in singles action or something. Yeah, that's it. Brad Armstrong in singles action. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, on the note of Benoit as well, it's obviously absolutely terrible what happened. It's awful, and this the families, the effect had on them is is terrible. But it is the knock on as well to the the stuff on the wrestling of the network, and there's so much there that I'd love to sit my little girl down and say, watch this, watch this. This guy was this guy was incredible, but. I'm okay watching Benoit matches. I'm not sure if that says anything particularly about me. I don't know. But I'm okay watching Benoit matches. Um, I'm not saying I'm a, a fan of his later actions, of course, in any way stretch the imagination. It was disgusting and horrific. It was an absolute tragedy. But I'm okay watching the matches. But I'm, I got that concern of, I want to sit my little girl down and say, watch this. This is brilliant. The 2004 Rumble, WrestleMania 20 main event, the matches with Shawn Michaels and so on. Um, and then, of course, his earlier stuff with Guerrero and uh, and everyone else. But I, my concern is if she turns around and says to me, "Well, tell me about him, Dad," or she say, or she looks him up herself, that so I end up not watching. And, and it's almost like it's almost like there's there's extra layers to the awfulness of what he did yeah. that knock on through the years, isn't there? You know, and, and even you know, it, it, it's just a horrific thing. It's not not a not a nice thing to think about in any way stretch stretch of the imagination at all but nope, yeah there I we totally go. agree um for for some context there there's a book called ring of hell by a guy called matthew randazzo uh and it, yes i've heard of this yeah 
Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing read. It's, it, you can see his kind of like anti WWE bias in it, but when you get down to like the the facts, he he kind of transitioned it from being like a, a look at just what happens backstage to uh, in in terms of WWE. Uh, but because obviously all the the Benoit stuff was going on, he, he kind of turned it into a story about Benoit. And there's some really interesting like points that he makes in that book. So I I'd recommend you. Uh, Going out and and getting hold of a copy if you, if you can uh, find it and and just giving that a read because it it really does open your eyes to to why Chris was like he was um, and again this is not me condoning his actions they're absolutely deplorable no, course, yeah. um, but the amount of kind of pressure he put on himself the amount of pressure that uh, was put on him from uh, the likes of of Stu Hart and the the kind of mindset that he had. Uh, being like a small guy uh, and basically he punished himself all the way through his career for the very slightest mistakes. Mm. There's a there's a point in the book where he speaks about uh, he asked Chris Chris Jericho for a little bit of uh, feedback on one of his matches and and Chris said yeah it was it was uh, really good uh, I would have done such and such a thing differently and he found later on that 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 Benoit took that sort much to heart that he found a, a dark cupboard backstage and he was kind of like really punishing himself by doing like loads of uh, Indian squats to... Oh, to, yes, yes, it, I read like this, yeah. He, he he really kind of took criticism like that to heart and then obviously we had the issue with uh, with Eddie Guerrero and Eddie Guerrero in WWE was kind of his, his rock, his like stability and, and once Eddie went, it was just, he had nobody. He was, uh, it was just, Chris was left to his own devices, and and it was the 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 head the the diving headbutt, and then the the masses amounts of uh, painkillers and and steroids they took, and his brain was absolutely mush. I think uh, the the coroner said this is a brain that's that's got ninety years worth of dementia. Uh, like it, that's the kind of like damage he'd done to his brain. So he he was not a well well man no, when he did yeah. what he did it still doesn't excuse what he did but it, the context is there that the, the wrestling world does kind of pay a massive part in 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 affecting these guys yeah yeah definitely and i suppose you look now the the ruling of no chair shots to the head in wwe uh, <laughs> it's all for you know ultimately aiming in the right direction with looking after these performers again yeah. we don't in any way, shape, or form, condone what happened at the end of Benoit's life. It is it is a horrific tragedy. But it, again, you look at some of the in-ring content the guy produced, some of the matches he produced. It's almost a shame that future generations can't enjoy that because of his actions there. But obviously, a lot of other people suffered a hell of a lot more than us because of what he did. So there we go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a mad tangent that we went off on, but yeah, uh, that was a bit of a that was a bit of a weird one. We're going on a bit of a bit. Of, um, should we talk about bet, something a little bit more lighthearted? Yeah, but you didn't expect that. Yeah, let's talk about the the setup for Hogan. Oh, <laughs> that's I was, even I was, more lighthearted. I was actually going to ask the question, Max. What did you tell me? You watched five or six times this week. Oh my god, uh, the, it was brilliant. Was that on that clash as well, or was it? I'm not sure of the number. It might have been on the one after. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's on. It must have been on Clash Twenty Two. It must have been. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, because I remember watching it, uh, and then uh, I said to you, when you go onto the WWE Network, it kind of gives you the uh, 
the the, the, it, the yeah, you, might, you, you know what you are you are right because I think that's the thumbnail for Clash Twenty Three, okay. uh, the Shockmaster. So you are right, I think. Uh, but yeah, the Shockmaster. Oh my God! Uh, I mean, we we've <laughs> wrestling Twitter have waxed lyrical about this event, but my God! As soon as I saw that, I, I messaged uh, uh, Simon and said, "I'm distracted here. I've got to watch this. Uh, I've got to watch this Shotmaster stuff." And it's just, it's sheer brilliance. It's absolutely the, the a comedy of errors, but it's it's just so funny to watch and. I feel so bad for for Fred Ottman because he got lumbered with this horrific gimmick. He f- crashed his way through a piece of drywall, fell over. He's lost his helmet. His, his stupid stormtrooper glitter helmet fell off. He was having to mam uh, kind of the movements of of someone talking when it was clear that it was Ollie yeah. Anderson talking he in the background as well, didn't he? You watch it. He, he starts almost miming these movements before yeah, it, the, before the, before the voice comes it's so surreal it's so yeah, weird it, it's it's mental it's ab- anything that went wrong went wrong it was just absolutely brilliant and you could see him pointing to to uh to Sid Vicious and and like saying come on if you want a piece of me but then he he don't say that for like another 30 40 seconds it's so so <laughs> funny funny to watch uh how the the rest of the guys didn't just like fall about laughing is is unreal but i did note that they they lowered the volume on on uh, david boy smith saying uh he's fallen on his arse yeah <laughs> but, i mean you got uh, I think mean, you've got to say as well, and I, I don't say this very often, but you, I think mean, you've got to say fair play to Sid Vicious here. Because if he's yeah. an absolutely dead straight face, he's yelling, he's shouting, he's making, he's been as serious as he possibly can be, mm. you know, with his silly hair and <laughs> shouty, sweaty-ness, you know. But you look at the whole segment, it's so weird. You've got Davey Boy Smith talking with his back to the camera, basically blocking, sting, and it's just everything about it is just... It's just so weird and bad, but to a point where you watch it and it makes you laugh. It's that even bad. even before the 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 heels turn up when uh, when Sting and, and Davey are on on the sofa. Every time Sting stands up to like get the crowd riled, David Boy stands up to to do pretty much the same thing. It was like he was almost uh, mimicking him. But then uh, <laughs> Flair says some like a, a comment about uh, oh uh, Flair for the gold is cooking, and David Boy just runs with it and he flogs that dead horse so bad. Everything he talks about is cooking for, it. and he's thinking he's on for like about <laughs> two and a half minutes. He's like Stingy is cooking. The David Boy, the the British Bulldog is cooking. Rick Flair is cooking. The crowd are cooking. Someone in the back with a with a couple of pots and pans is cooking. It's just mental how he just collapses onto the word cooking and just suddenly everyone's Gordon Ramsay and they're all in in the kitchen doing a bit of cooking. It's so fun. I mean, it's 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 obviously on the WWE Network, but um, there's a few people who listen to this show who listen mainly because they're sort of friends of mine as opposed to wrestling fans who may not have the network. It'd be easy to find on YouTube if you look for Absolutely. the Shockmaster's Shop debut. It's got to be seen to be believed. This is this is wrestling at its at its funniest, but also at its worst. It's just an absolute calamity. It's just pure comedy gold. Please, go seek it out if you haven't seen it. Yeah, um, it, it's brilliant. It's, it, it's everything that, that when wrestling fans have to defend wrestling, if yeah. you want the perfect argument to why you should never watch wrestling, just point people to this because it's so ridiculous. But it's what 
it's why us wrestling fans love it because it is so 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 bad. It's one of them you just can't defend, isn't it? You just got to take yeah. it on the chin as a wrestling fan. But yeah, okay. <laughs> the last match we have from mm. our little look at Clash of the Champions matches, I suppose. I, I said I started off by saying sort of pre Hogan, but he does appear on this show, doesn't he? Pre in ring Hogan, shall we say? Uh, we finish how we started uh, with Ric Flair versus Sting. Um, some, what, six and a bit years further forward in time from the original. Um, what what did you think of, of this one? I thought this was a great way to bookend my education on, on Clash of the Champions. It was, uh, I mentioned in, in the first match that Sting looked green in terms of uh, being a ring general. I think in this one he, he was he was getting close to his peak. He was it was just a massive contrast and how he he kind of was more a rounded kind of ring savvy wrestler that that was able to to dictate the the pace and the direction of a match. It was such a a, a dichotomy to to the first uh, clash, and then obviously we've still got uh, Flair. He's got that that knack for being devious, uh, kind of do yep. anything to to win mentality. Um, and the waves, it was kind of always on the back foot in this match. I, I really enjoyed it. it. Was it was like I said, it was night and day compared to the first one uh, where Flair was doing the leading. This was this was a, a, a sting led match. Um, the the ending felt um, felt like it was too much of a swerve with with Sherry. You can always tell whenever Sherry's involved with a with a, a face, she's going to turn on him. Yeah, and, every and, time. And, and, and you got that uh, when when she came in to, to help Flair. She did well with those uh, with those frog splashes from the top rope uh, to, to lay into Sting. But what the kind of annoying thing for me was that this was all kind of a, instead of being like a Sting versus Flair match, uh, who were two of the biggest stars in, in, in not only in WCW, but in wrestling at that time, this was just a tool to to build up for for Flair versus Hogan. I just didn't at all. That didn't sit well with me. I felt no, like Sting can feel a little bit aggrieved for that. But it's the it's the wrestling business. And and that being said, it it, it did lead to what would be the the biggest revolution in wrestling in in probably forever. Uh, with uh, uh, Hogan being the the champion in WCW, and then obviously the heel turn and and turning the wrestling world on its head. Uh, so I kind of I do get it when you've got someone like Hogan at that time who was the the face of wrestling. You he he's, he's the number one guy. Um, I I enjoyed the match though. It was like I said, it was a really good match. I felt that Sting did well to to lead this match. Um, yeah, it was it was it was. A good good way to bookend uh, this kind of like chat about Clash of Champions. Dave Meltzer gave it three and a half. I think I'd, I would have probably give it a little bit more, maybe four, just because of how how well Sting has come on since the since the first Clash. Um, yeah, it was a great match and a great great way to round off the show. Yeah, yeah. I again, Flair versus Sting to me is it's almost it's almost timeless, isn't it? It, it, mm-hmm. it was. The last Nitro as well. There's the, the match. Um, I think it's Great American Bash '90. I think when Sting finally won the world title, and um, it, it's timeless. It's very much got WCW stamped all over it, hasn't it? Um, but yeah, you're right. The whole looming presence of Hulk Hogan coming into this is is everywhere to see. 
Flair makes an expression walking to the ring and the commentators are citing, oh, he's already thinking about Hogan. He hasn't even, the bell hasn't even rang yet for him versus Sting. I mean, this is a title unification match. This is their, yeah. their two versions of the world title being converted to one. And all they're doing is rabbiting on about a guy who's not actually wrestled for them yet. Again, I can understand why. It's Hulk Hogan. It's the biggest signing they've had. It, and it, financially, it makes a huge difference to WCW going forward. Of course it does. Mm-hmm. But at that moment in time, maybe one or two mentions less of Hogan would have been a bit more beneficial to the match itself. Um, yeah, also it, it, on, it on kind of telegraphed of, what was going to happen. Because yeah, exactly. they, they mentioned him so much that, that he had to be involved. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you go, you're going to get Hogan flair above Hogan sting, aren't you? Because they want the, the whole light and dark, good guy, bad guy dynamic the following month when Hogan defeats flair. Um, also, that feud there, Hogan defeated flair at the bash at the beach and a couple of matches later. Yeah. Um, Hogan actually retired flair in 1994, which is quite comical when you think about it now. <laughs> but uh, on a note of Sherry as well, um, when Flair pulls her in front to take the bump when Sting comes over the top rope, did you see how hard she hit that floor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, Sherry oh, can that bump noise. that. She can bump like the best of them. She really, really can. Uh, yeah, it, it did sound very, very, uh, very painful. Mm. Uh, but one thing I did love in this match, and it's a. Uh, it's something that we didn't really get in in all the other matches that that we've spoke about. Is Bobby Heenan on commentary? That's oh yeah, he, I've got a note of Heenan about Heenan myself. Yeah, you're spot on. The the way he's, I mean, he did it all the way through his uh, his uh, WWE run as well. Uh, WWF run, sorry. Uh, the way he kind of like it's got so much bias for Flair. It's yeah. it's unreal. <laughs> uh, I, I I think he really stands out as as one of the very very best not only managers, but commentators. The guy could pretty much do it all. His razor-quick wit. Uh, yeah, I, I love everything that Bobby Heenan does in this match. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's always as brilliant, isn't he? Like you said, the bias towards Flair. It, it just... You've you got the obvious comparison with the 92 Rumble and so on, haven't you? And mm-hmm. it's just... I just love, love all of that. It's just... He, he was just so good in everything he did. Um, I recently rewatched WrestleMania five for the show when I was talking to um, Comrade, and Heenan's all over that show as well as a manager and so on. And it's just again cutting interviews with his, his his members of his Heenan family, and like you said, just so quick. Somebody says something and it's like lightning the response, and it, and it's all so funny. The guy was just an absolute genius, you yeah. know, it, absolute genius and. Yeah, maybe considering it was wasn't it three years this week, uh, Mister Heenan passed away. Maybe that's a good good place to uh, to leave this chat then, citing how wonderful Bobby was, even on an event where we're sort of cringing at the prospect of Hogan coming in and taking any in ring quality down very dramatically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh... So, um, before I let you go, then Mags, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you online, your various shows, and your Jesus social God. media links? I apologise for this, but it's probably going to be longer than all the the talks of, uh, no of the clash matches. Just give it's me a definitely... shout when you're done, because I'm going to put the kettle on. All right? <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> going to be longer than the the uh, the 
the Ben Warren Armstrong match. But basically, you can find me on Twitter at DAJ Kerber. I won't run through all my content because there is absolutely loads, but you can definitely find links from there. Um, what I do want to shout out, though, is the networks that I'm involved with, um, Visionaries Global New Media uh, with, with Simon. Um, I'm involved with the Chair Shop Media Group and now with uh, Shooting the Sports Ish. Uh, so go and check them out, go and give them a follow because I put out content, but these guys put out way better content than me. So definitely go and check them out and go and give them a, a listen, a follow, uh, a sub, uh, some feedback. Yeah, all that stuff. Okay, great stuff. Well, thank you very, very much for coming back on again and discussing some old school WCW and some old Clash of Champions matches. Um, really grateful for you coming on. It's it's always great fun ch- talking to you, Mags. I always really enjoy it. So, yeah, hope to have you back on again soon. Yeah, uh, anytime. Like I said, uh, we in the in in the DMs. I've got kind of a a lot of uh, stuff like in in the, the 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 fire. But once I've kind of like sorted out uh, a regular roster, yeah, just just hit me up, and I'll anytime I can help out. You know, I'll always be there throughout that bat signal. <laughs> no worries. We'll try and sort of fit something in. I don't know, three a.m. in about six weeks time. Or, <laughs> but, you know, when you've got I'm, some spare time. <laughs> busy that time. I'm busy at that. Ah, okay, okay. Well, we'll try and line up our diaries, mate. But no, thank you very much. Really appreciate it, buddy. Thank no you. No problem. Thanks for the invite. No worries. Speak to you soon.